History this week, May 14th, 1796. I'm Sally Helm. The town of Barclay, England, is dairy country. Walk a little ways and you'll see small farmhouses, cows grazing in the meadows. A peaceful scene. But like every town in England and every town around the world at the time, Barclay is always vulnerable to a hidden and unpredictable killer. A virus. Smallpox. Every couple of years, a smallpox epidemic rips through the countryside. The disease is extremely deadly. It kills up to half of its victims, and it's even more deadly in children. If you survive, it can leave you blind or covered in horrible scars. But in dairy country, there is one group of people that seems safe from this scourge. People who milk cows. Poets would praise milkmaids' perfect skin. They didn't have smallpox scars. Somehow, they were untouched. In 1796, in the town of Barclay, there is a country doctor named Edward Jenner. He hears about a local milkmaid named Sarah Nelms, who has recently come down not with smallpox, but with cowpox. She got it from milking an infected cow. Cowpox is usually not deadly, and Jenner has been wondering, could it be that milkmaids are safe from smallpox because they get cowpox? So Jenner goes to visit Sarah Nelms, and he asks her, do you mind if I take some fluid from your cowpox blister? I want to try something. And then Edward Jenner goes and finds a healthy eight-year-old boy the son of a local laborer. His name is James Phipps. Jenner makes two half-inch cuts in the boy's arm and touches them with the fluid from Sarah Nelms's blister. Then he sends James Phipps on his way. He does get the parents' permission, but still, medical ethics were kind of lacking in 1796. A few days later, James does get sick, but just slightly. He recovers. And then Edward Jenner goes further. He exposes James Phipps to smallpox to see if he'll get that terrifying disease. And he doesn't. Edward Jenner has opened the door to one of the greatest advances in the history of medicine, vaccination. But the story of that first vaccine begins centuries before Jenner was even born. People have been trying to wrap their heads around the strange, counterintuitive nature of infection. Why does a minor infection sometimes protect you against a major one? Today, we tell the story of one major step on the way to Jenner's vaccine. How did an unlikely trio in 1720s Boston pave the way for one of the greatest advances in medical history? And 
How did we get to a place where we no longer need to be afraid of smallpox, this disease that used to be the scariest virus around? Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Smallpox likely first appeared around 10,000 BC. The first recorded epidemic occurred around 1350 BC. Archaeologists found a smallpox-like rash on three mummies from ancient Egypt. The disease appears to have spread along trade routes like the Silk Road. Sometimes it followed soldiers into war. Eventually, no place in the world was untouched. Over the whole long course of history, I don't think there's any disease that was more deadly than smallpox or more feared than smallpox. Stephen Koss is a journalist who's written a book about one of the most important smallpox epidemics in history. He said, the disease starts out like any flu. With a feeling of malaise, and then you start running a fever. That gets extremely high. You would have abdominal pain, back pain, vomiting. But then you'd start to feel better. The cruelest thing about smallpox, in a way, is that for about 12 hours or so, the patient believes that he or she is okay. Whatever it was, they've licked it. And then what happens is they start to notice a a rash on their skin, a red, pinkish rash. The rash spreads. It thickens. You develop red, pussy pox all over your body. And the person at that point is going to be very, very sick for a long time. Even if you didn't die from smallpox, you were never the same. And at least three out of 10 people died from the disease. Smallpox was so deadly that it devastated whole civilizations. In what is now the U.S., British colonists infected Native Americans with smallpox. 20 million of them would die. By the beginning of the 18th century, smallpox had either killed or crippled or disfigured an estimated one-tenth of all mankind. This was something that we almost can't imagine in terms of scope. No matter who you were, you couldn't escape smallpox. By the early 1700s... Everyone living in New England, especially though Boston, because it was a concentrated population, lived in constant fear of smallpox. Boston was a busy port, and ships often brought the virus as a stowaway. Viruses had not yet been discovered, and smallpox had no cure. The only real weapon colonists had in the 1700s was quarantine. Doctors would try to keep infected people isolated, do what they could to treat them. But Bostonians came to expect that there would be a devastating epidemic about once a decade. It wasn't a matter of if smallpox was going to come, it was a matter of when. A smallpox outbreak came almost like clockwork every 12 years. 
In the late 1600s, a young boy in Boston named Cotton Mather is one of the lucky ones. He gets smallpox and survives. So Mather has lifelong immunity. He actually considers becoming a doctor, but he ends up a minister, one of the most powerful in New England. He becomes known for his ability to treat women possessed by the devil, a.k.a. witches. This leads to his most enduring legacy. People generally think of Cotton Mather as the bad guy from the Salem Witch Trials. And he was, although not as bad as most people think. He wasn't a judge. He wasn't a juror. He didn't accuse anybody directly of being a witch. But he was the foremost minister in New England. There was a backlash against the Salem Witch Trials within a year. People began to think they'd gone too far. Mather doesn't apologize, but he does try to atone. Mather really spent the years after Salem trying to redeem himself and trying to prove that he wasn't a superstitious man and that he had, in fact, a good mind for science. And he did. But his main job is being a minister. And he has a particular mission during this time. Mather owned slaves, and he saw it as his duty to help convert them to Christianity. This wasn't very common at the time. People didn't believe that African slaves could be, quote-unquote, redeemed by becoming Christians. And Mather believed that those assumptions were wrong. Mather has a slave who is thought to be from West Africa. Mather has given him the name Onesimus. And he decides to teach Onesimus to read and write English in hopes that he will become a Christian man. So they're spending a lot of time together. And one day, they have a conversation that changes Mather's life and arguably helps change the course of medical history. According to Mather's records, he asks Onesimus if he's ever had smallpox. And Onesimus answers, yes and no. He points to a scar that he has on his arm. Kind of a horizontal scar near the shoulder. So it might have been mistaken for a tribal cut or tattoo. In fact, that's probably what a lot of other white masters just assumed because they didn't care what their slaves thought. They never asked, but Mather did ask, and then he was surprised at the answer. Onesimus said that as a child in his home country, Whenever smallpox came to the village, they would take some of the pus from someone who was sick and make an incision and insert it in the incision. And the gist was, he just explained inoculation. Inoculation, also known as variolation. This is a practice that has been going on for centuries in Africa, in Asia, in the Middle East, but it's unknown in much of the Western world. The idea is you give a healthy person a small dose of smallpox pus, and... Maybe a day or two later, ideally, you got a little sick, you got a few pox breaking out, localized, and then you got well. And once you were well, you were immune from that point forward. Safe from smallpox. Mather is curious. He had lost two sons and his wife to a measles epidemic a few years earlier. He knows how devastating disease can be. Plus, he's still determined to be seen as a man of science. But he doesn't act on this information at first. He just files it away. 
he's spending his time submitting other science articles to a British journal called the Philosophical Transactions of the Royal Society. And in 1716, he gets a break. He finally succeeded in getting them to publish one of his pieces. And when he received the issue that contained his contribution, he noticed that right after it, there was a very interesting article about this procedure that was conducted in Turkey. The procedure was called inoculation, and it was exactly what Onesimus had told him about. And if he was only mildly curious or mildly interested when Onesimus told him this was a legitimizing thing, he saw that the greatest scientific journal of its day actually had an article about this procedure. This journal was totally reputable. But back then, not every scientific article written was backed up with an experiment. It was kind of a combination of observation and Ripley's Believe It or Not. A lot of the things in there weren't meant to be instructing anybody to do anything. They were curiosities. And except for Mather, that's how people treated inoculation. Mather is excited to see this in print. He writes back to the journal, but nothing comes of it. And for most people in Boston at the time, smallpox is not really top of mind. There hasn't been an epidemic in a while. They're supposed to come roughly every 12 years, but... The time came and went, and there was no smallpox outbreak. And people began to think that, well, maybe they dodged the bullet, so to speak. Other people might have just thought they were lucky. But everybody knew when smallpox didn't come after 12 years, that when it did come back, it was going to be worse because there were more people had been born. There were more children who were vulnerable to it. There were more people who hadn't had it and survived it. And in 1721, 18 years after the last smallpox outbreak, the people of Boston run out of luck. They're about to face the worst smallpox outbreak in their history. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. In 1721, Boston is a big, bustling port. And in April of that year, a British naval ship called the Seahorse arrives with smallpox on board. They were supposed to self-quarantine 
But this particular captain decided not to self-quarantine. And that is how the first cases came into Boston. In May, a citizen of Boston gets smallpox. The government is notified, but they keep it quiet. Because Boston's entire economy revolved around trade. And the worst thing that could happen to a town whose economy depends on trade is to get embargoed by ships that learn that you've got smallpox in town. No one wants smallpox. And so Boston is hoping maybe it'll just go away. But that's wishful thinking. Soon enough, the disease starts to spread. And it gets harder and harder to hide the epidemic. People began to notice because they would put quarantine flags on the doors of people who got sick. These red flags start cropping up all over town. People are getting nervous. But it isn't until about a month into the epidemic that they really begin to take it seriously. In June of 1721, Harvard College canceled its commencement. Harvard had a public commencement, and it was way more than just a graduation ceremony. It was really one of only two days during the entire calendar year when Puritans in Boston let loose, and it was a party for everybody. The entire town celebrated this event. And so when Harvard decided they were canceling the commencement, that was a shock. When the people of Boston can't go to this event, the reality of the epidemic starts to set in. And so does the fact that the city is almost defenseless. Their only weapon is quarantine, and that's not really working. The disease just started spreading, and sooner or later became exponential. Some 900 Bostonians flee the city in 1721. The virus will end up infecting over 5,000 of the 11,000 or so people who lived there. So almost half. As the epidemic unfolds, Cotton Mather is in Boston, watching. And he hasn't forgotten what Onesimus told him years before. He's actually been waiting to tell everybody about inoculation since 1716. But there was no point talking about it until the community needed it. When the epidemic hits its high point in June, Mather decides to write a letter to the 12 physicians in town. He suggests that they try inoculation. He wrote saying that he believed it was infallible, that this would save the community. But his letter gets flat out ignored. One really influential doctor tells all the other doctors, this guy's crazy, don't pay him any mind. So Mather hears nothing. Then he writes a second letter. This time, just to three doctors that he thinks might be most likely to consider the idea. And one of them does respond. Zabdiel Boylston. Zabdiel Boylston was a physician in Boston, but he was not considered one of the preeminent physicians. Most of the doctors in Boston were Harvard graduates from wealthy families. Boylston was neither. But he came back to Mather apparently after a little bit of research and said, OK, I'll try it. Boylston knew that most people thought this idea was ridiculous. It sounded crazy. It sounded like murder. And in fact, Boylston would be accused of murder and attempted murder in the coming months. First, the idea of inoculation is so counterintuitive. 
give people a little bit of smallpox during a smallpox epidemic so that they can survive smallpox? No way. No way. But people also resisted for another reason. Mather had made it clear that this knowledge came from Onesimus, an African slave. So a lot of white people in Boston wanted nothing to do with it. You know, circa 1721, when a slave came up with an idea like this, and it seemed so preposterous, it was either because the slave was ignorant or it was because the slave was too clever and was trying to find a way to kill people. Boylston knew that if he was going to convince white Bostonians to try inoculation, he needed to do something big. He had to prove that he was so confident of it that he would do it on someone from his own family. Boylston performs his pivotal first experiment on three people, including his own six-year-old son, Thomas. He also inoculates his African slave, Jack, and Jack's three-year-old son, Jackie. Both Jack and Jackie have very minor symptoms, but Thomas isn't so lucky. He gets very sick with smallpox. And there was a day or two when Boylston believed he might die. But then he came out of it, and he came out of it without any repercussions and had gained his immunity. And Boylston was convinced that even though that was kind of a tough go for Thomas, that it was still worth trying again. The rest of Boston is not so sure. Once word got out, people were outraged. And almost instantly, there was a huge outcry among the people and the other doctors in Boston against Boylston and against inoculation. Still, Boylston puts out a call for volunteers. Who wants to be inoculated? And as the epidemic continues, killing hundreds, leaving people blind and disfigured, some volunteers step forward. It's easy to forget how much fear people had of something like smallpox and the lengths to which they were willing to go to possibly escape death. So Boylston does a few more inoculations, and they're successful. Patients might get sick, but they don't die, and they walk away with immunity to smallpox. So more and more people start coming to Boylston for this procedure. But the pushback is intense against Boylston and against Cotton Mather. People are spitting at them in the street. Boylston says he fears for his life. At one point, someone even throws a bomb into Cotton Mather's house. Still, Boylston refuses to stop. He keeps giving inoculations. And it got to a point where enough people weren't dying from the smallpox inoculation that slowly but surely popular opinion swayed. And even the opponents had to admit that it seemed to be working. Meanwhile, other people were dying in droves from regular smallpox. The average rate of death from smallpox was upwards of 30%. In children, it was even higher. But for the 300 people that Boylston inoculated, the death rate was only 2%. By the time the epidemic was completely over, Boylston was pretty much vindicated, and he would go to England a few years later as a guest of the Royal Society and be feted as a hero. The 1721 smallpox epidemic was the deadliest that Boston had ever seen. But Boylston and Mather helped protect hundreds of people. 
This became a defining moment for inoculation in the colonies and in the West overall. It was actually the Boston experiment that helped England justify or get behind the idea of inoculations. Over the next few decades, inoculation spreads in Europe. And in 1757, an eight-year-old boy in England is inoculated against smallpox. Edward Jenner. He goes on to become a country doctor. Jenner and other doctors know that inoculation is not a perfect solution. Using full-blown smallpox to protect people is risky. Sometimes they get sick from the procedure, even die. And you have to wait until an epidemic hits to protect people because you need pus from existing smallpox patients. Plus, the smallpox virus is alive and you're still contagious. So Jenner is on the hunt for another solution. And he's heard those stories about the fair-faced milkmaids. What seemed to happen anecdotally in real life, which was milkmaids didn't get smallpox, he wanted to see if cowpox would have that effect if you inoculated somebody with it instead of smallpox. And so he conducted an experiment to do that. To be clear, Jenner is not the first or only person to think about this. But his experiment with that eight-year-old boy, James Phipps, is hugely important. Jenner has essentially taken Boylston's inoculation and made it much safer. That's why his experiment is such a breakthrough. Cowpox isn't deadly to humans, but it can still create immunity to smallpox. After Jenner's vaccine, the boy doesn't get sick and he doesn't infect anyone else. But as in 1721, people don't take to Jenner's idea overnight. Some of them were worried that this procedure might turn them into a cow. By the way, Jenner calls it vaccination because the Latin word for cow is vaca. And over time, people get used to it. As more societies began practicing it and as the means of administering it became better and safer, it was very effective. It became embraced and slowly but surely they started eating away at smallpox. In fact, vaccination completely wiped out smallpox by 1979. The World Health Organization has deemed smallpox completely eradicated. So we don't have to worry about it anymore. This vaccine was also the foundation for many other life-saving vaccines to come. The concept of protecting yourself with a weaker version of a virus or today sometimes a dead version created in the lab, it's changed medicine in deep and powerful ways. Most medical historians will tell you that inoculation leading to vaccination, vaccination leading to immunization, is the single most important, profound development in Western medicine because it's saved untold millions of lives. We have many people to thank for that including Boylston and Mather and Jenner, and of course, Onesimus. Onesimus actually ended up buying his freedom soon before the 1721 outbreak. Though to get it, he had to contribute towards the purchase of another enslaved person to work for Mather. After that, very little is known of him. Stephen Koss told us, the story of this unlikely trio in Boston gives him hope. In times of great stress, especially when there's a medical crisis, these are also times of great innovation. And a lot of people then, and I think now, rise to the challenge. 
Thanks for listening to History This Week. For more moments throughout history that are also worth watching, check your local TV listings to find out what's on history today. This podcast is produced by McKamey Lynn, Julie Magruder, Ben Dickstein, and me, Sally Helm. Our editor and sound designer is Dan Rosato, and our researcher is Emma Fredericks. Our executive producers are Jesse Katz and Ted Butler. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review History This Week wherever you get your podcasts. And we will see you next week. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.